Astronomy The natural science and study of celestial objects Discover how amateur astronomers and NASA stare at the sun and other objects safely and scientifically, all while avoiding the dreaded ocular ring, next on NASA EDGE. Welcome to NASA EDGE. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. We're inside the Tucson Convention Center in Tucson, Arizona. For the Arizona Science and Astronomy Expo. This is an exciting two-day event where we have a lot of people from the general public, kids, learning about science and astronomy education. Yeah, it's great for amateur astronomers. You can come out, see telescopes, work with them, talk to the people that made them, and actually, you know, advance in your astronomical uh, efforts. In fact, NASA has a big presence here. We have a number of booths here. We have the Space Weather Action Center from NASA Goddard. We have the James Webb Telescope booth. We have the Solar Dynamics Observatory booth and astronaut Don Pettit. On today's show, we're going to be talking to the general public, getting sort of their feel, um, what the passion about them in terms of science uh, and astronomy. We're going to be talking to some of the vendors here. And hopefully, if the weather's nice, I think it's cooperating right now, we get to go outside and actually look at the sun. We're here under the hot, blazing Tucson, Arizona sun talking to Dr. Stephen Ramsden about solar observing or, or solar astronomy. Uh, tell me about what you're doing here today, Stephen. We are setting up and have set up narrowband solar telescopes for the public and anyone who's interested to come by and look at the sun and see the magnetic ferocity going on on the surface all the time. Is there actual solar ferocity taking place today? <laughs> you better believe it. The sun's chromosphere is active as usual. There's a gigantic floating prominence about 30 times the size of the Earth. Off the edge of the sun, there are several sunspots, and the chromosphere is alive with heat and detail right now. Every day it's something different. There's stuff shooting off the side. Yesterday morning there was an eruptive prominence that just blew off the edge. And today, the prominence we see on the side today is something I've never seen before. I mean, when I started, we were in solar minimum, so it looked kind of like a cheese pizza only. <laughs> and then after, it kept getting more pepperonis and green peppers added to it. And now we're kind of up to everything meat lovers pizza. It's just a fantastic thing to look at. Well, in your daily life, I mean, how often do you observe solar activity? At least four times a week. And I take my outreach program to middle schools or high schools all year long. And I've done that for the last five years. And we look at the sun at least twice a week with 500 to 1,000 kids. And by myself, two or three more times per week. You have an outreach effort aimed at kids, right? Uh, it's centered in Atlanta, Georgia, and I go to all the southeastern states myself. And this year we opened it up to 17 countries worldwide. So I have people just like Dan and my buddy Randy here in Tucson that brought their own telescopes for the Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project to set up here and let these local residents look at the sun. What got you interested in looking at the sun? Because obviously, I mean, your parents always tell you not to stare into the sun. I basically got these protective glasses. I can look only at the sun, but I can't even see you right now. But, but what drew you into uh, solar observing? Uh, it's different every day. And the main thing for me with the outreach is that the students are already in school during the day. There's no need for a lot of fuss and bother of getting them out somewhere. The kids are already there. It's just a natural for me because since I was a little kid, I've just wondered what is that up there and why is it there? And, and how are we going around it and how do they bring us life? And all these wonderful things you ask about the star that's just right around the corner. So uh, tell us, do you like studying the sun and the solar system? Yeah, because the sun is too hot. What, what's your favorite planet? Saturn. Wow, Saturn has all the rings around it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's 
So, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, a teacher. Very good. See, that's, that's the perfect profession, being a teacher. So Jennifer, why are you here today? My son really loves space, so we decided to come out and, and see what it's about. So Jacob, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be um, a space scientist. A space scientist. Uh, what would you like to do in space? Study the stars. Tell me, what do you like about the sun? I, I like um, the flames on it. What about you, Mom? What did you think about uh, seeing the sun through the telescopes? It was pretty neat. I hadn't seen it before through a telescope. He has a big telescope at, at home. I haven't quite figured out how to use all of it, so we haven't been able to do that. So it was really neat to see. Well, Jacob will be able to teach you in a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> We're here with Michelle from Celestron. How is the expo going for you guys? It's been really good. Uh, we've had a lot of steady traffic, a lot of young people, a lot of families, so we've been really happy with the turnout. With the new families, are you seeing that uh, you're getting actually some new amateur astronomers developed even today? I think so. I really do. I, I, a lot of people have come, been coming by and the kids are really excited about the products and um, astronomy itself. Celestron's definitely big into outreach. We do a lot of star parties at schools. We go and set up telescopes and bring the kids out and let them view Saturn and the moon. Now, I've heard this term a lot. You're going to have to explain this to me. Star parties? What are these? I, I mean, I have not been invited to any star parties, so I'm just curious. What is a star party? Well, you're missing out. You know, we, we set up the telescopes and we have uh, people come out and basically take a look at the stars in the universe and help get them inspired and hopefully get some new people into the hobby. I'll tell you what, I'm very curious about these star parties. It looks like either I'm going to have to start one or find one and join it because it sounds like a great event. It is. It is. Definitely always a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Hey, I'm going to pick you up So what brought you both to the Tucson Convention Center today? Well, my husband is just now getting into astronomy. He bought a telescope a couple of months ago, so he heard about it and wanted to come down. Now, how is your telescope different from the one that you have? Um, well, mine is much smaller. <laughs> <laughs> now, what were the cool things uh, or cool features uh, you saw of the sun today? Uh, well, we just saw that there was some activity there on the, on the sun. It looks like they had uh, some eruptions. And tell us about the experience inside the convention center today. Well, we've seen two speakers so far, and both were very entertaining. One was more facts and fun, and the other one was I don't, a fun story. Mayans and the end of the world in 41 days. Wait a minute. The, the world's going to end in 41 days? Not according to him, no. Awesome. We avoided Mayan calendar catastrophe and learned about the new field of meteorite hunting, a scientific win-win. How do amateur and commercial meteorite hunters contribute to science. It's a very important aspect of this science. The meteorites have to get to the scientists in order for them to be studied because the amount of information contained in one rock is phenomenal. So meteorite hunters we're kind of the grunts, if you will. We're the ones who are out on the out in the field looking for them, bringing them back in. That is obviously the most that is the most obvious way that meteorite hunters assist scientists and is getting the samples to the lab to be studied and when we're out on in the field within a couple of hours or 24 hours of a fall it preserves the data the data is not terrestrialized the meteorite is not terrestrialized not only with new finds but with cold finds such as what Sonny has found in the past he has found meteorites that are so rare that people haven't seen them before that is a whole nother data set to add to the scientific knowledge and database. Recover these meteorites 
get them out of the environment, get them into the scientific hands to where this material now is now being studied. It's the environment's not ruining the, the meteorites. It's just preserving them. We could not do the work that we do without the meteorite hunters and the amateur collectors simply because as scientists, we do not have the time to be out looking for meteorites. And that is the probably the only negative downside from a purely scientific standpoint is that meteorites cost money. Um, where an amateur astronomer is more than willing to uh, give their data that they've collected. And so that's the only negative side of it. But I do want to stress that we could not do our jobs. We could not study the rich history that can be found in these rocks without people going out and finding them. May I weigh, on, weigh in on this? Because this is a, a topic that's very close to my heart. Everybody understands that if meteorite collection uh, on a commercial basis is done properly, it benefits everyone. So we go out in the field, we find a new meteorite. It's not really worth anything financially as is compared to its financial value if it is properly analyzed and classified and given a name. So I don't mean to sound um, too self-serving here, but we find a meteorite, we take it to CMS and say, could you classify this please? And in exchange for your valuable work, we will donate part of the piece to your permanent collection. So they get an important sample, which they get to keep for all time. And our, our meteorite then becomes recognized in the literature. And then people go, oh, it's a real meteorite. It was found there. It's not something that somebody just bought at a rock show and pretended that it was found. That's one of the reasons that we work so closely with academia, partly because it's the right thing to do, but we want meteorite collecting to be done in a responsible manner so private collectors and commercial dealers and academia all benefit. There's no reason not to work together and cooperate on this issue. Now, Don, I understand that you work with the James Webb Telescope. Can you give us an update on what's going on with James Webb right now? Sure. First of all, at the University of Arizona, we're building one of the four instruments. It's called the Near-Infrared Camera. And we're really excited because everything we've worked for over the last decade has now been assembled and it's undergoing cryogenic testing at Lockheed Martin, just as though it was in space. What is it going to capture when James Webb is flying? There are a couple general principles about the infrared. One is that longer wavelengths, which infrared is, goes through murky material like gas and dust in the universe. So we can see how stars are born, how planets are born, how entire galaxies are born even though their surroundings might be a little opaque to visible light. Also, James Webb Space Telescope has sometimes been called the first light machine, which means you can see the light of the first objects that was ever formed in the universe. And it's been stretched into the infrared by the expansion of space over all this time. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? That, that's exactly right. The farther you look, the older the light, but the younger the information is, it's sort of like getting a letter in the mail. It takes a while to deliver it, and when you get it, you're reading about something your friend did in the past. Every NASA project has a science and a mission component, but also an education component. So I'm lucky because I get to be on the science team that helps build this near-infrared instrument, but also I'm leading the education effort that's connected to our instrument. And we work very closely with the Girl Scouts of the USA and for 10 years now have been training adult leaders in the very principles that make our telescope and instrument work. 
are they going to come up with a special cookie when James Webb launches uh, that they can sell at the, with the, from the Girl Scouts? You can already buy a special cookie cutter for the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. How awesome is that? That's a great and idea. And it's even better because our instrument has what are called optical benches, a platform on which everything is mounted. It's made of beryllium and it's engraved on the side, Go Girl Scouts. And so the Girl Scouts are literally going a million miles into space with this instrument. That's, that's fantastic. Now, I imagine that's part of why you're here. How's the crowd been today in terms of the expo? A lot of good conversations, a lot of excitement about James Webb? Yeah, in fact, there's some people here who have worked on James Webb Telescope that I've never met. They worked on the optics and, and software and other things. It's especially exciting to see the young people come and actually look at themselves in the infrared camera and be willing to do experiments with some of the materials we have here. And, and I like that a lot because in six years from now, those young kids will be high schoolers or in college and they'll remember back and maybe be able to explain to their friends what this was all about. Or maybe they'll be using the data that comes from the telescope. We need some kind of telescope to look into my brain and figure out why I can't understand how complex this process actually is. Blair, have yeah. you ever seen an ocular ring? No. Check it out. Oh, all right. Check this out. I'm not seeing anything. Ocular ring? I'm not getting anything. Just straight sun. Ocular ring. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, what are you talking about? Word on the street is I'm uh, talking with Brent, who's a rocket scientist. Oh, of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the NASA right there, the rocket scientist. Can hardly uh, argue with the t-shirt, uh, right. but, but anyway, seriously, you're a student here in Arizona studying astronomy? Yeah, I'm studying astronomy and uh, physics uh, here at the University of Arizona. I'm a freshman and um, from Michigan, actually. Came down here because uh, I heard that the program is just phenomenal out here. How did you get interested in astronomy? Um, I've been interested in astronomy since I was a little kid. I'd just look at the stars and just be... Uh, amazed at how little we are in comparison and uh, I soon it just took off and I just kept learning about it reading books and just uh, became a large passion for me so what are you looking forward to most here at the expo um, I'm actually really looking forward to listening to some of the really profound speakers that are here at the convention such as Don Pettit he is the astronaut who served several missions aboard the International Space Station it's just going to be um, very interesting listening to him. You're studying astronomy. Now, what do you plan to do once you get out of school? Students who go through and study astronomy and physics go and um, become an astronomer, which is very interesting, but I might take a different route. I think that the amateur astronomy business is on the uprise, and there's so many opportunities out there for the amateur astronomy business. So who knows, down the road I could be owning a company like one of these out here, so. You realize you're obligated to provide free telescopes to NASA EDGE if you're successful in that endeavor. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> so why are you here at the Tucson Convention Center today? I'm learning a lot about astronomy today. I'm hanging out with some really great astronomers that are in a club, so I'm trying to fit in and learning a lot. <laughs> I even know some of the few that she's talking about, yeah. No, we're here to visit several of the vendors that I've known and spoken with for many years and get to meet and greet them and maybe even buy some of their products. You never know. So pretty much what I understand is you're keeping him out of trouble. I am keeping him out of trouble. I'm keeping him focused on the, on the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, what have you learned uh, since you've been here today? Oh, I learned a lot about the sun. There was a really great presentation about the sun from NASA, and I learned a lot about solar flares and saw some beautiful images. So uh, tell us, what are you doing here today? Well, we decided uh, 
to come out and show the people what we have to offer from the Sun point of view of from NASA. And we knew that this audience would be a good audience because they, they love astronomy and that's why they're here. And this is sort of like a, the mecca for solar astronomy, isn't it? It is. Tucson has, you know, the great skies, of course, and there's some observatories, Kitt Peak and Mount Lemmon and so forth. And it just has attracted a lot of astronomers. It's just amazing how NASA is involved in studying the sun, and we're learning so much every day. Yeah, in the past, say, 30 years, it's been just huge leaps forward. And when I started with SOHO 15 years ago, the images were, you know, about this size, and now they're, from SDO, they're five feet by five feet. And with that, and with the faster picture taking, we're taking an image every 10 seconds with SDO. We're seeing things we could never see before, and that's exciting. People get excited about it, and people don't even know anything about the sun that see that some of those movies that I show, and they're online all the time. They're amazed, because they're, they're beautiful, and yet they're interesting in their science and all that good stuff. What are some of the uh, missions that we uh, can see down the road for uh, looking at, at the sun? Okay, well, there's a couple. Uh, MMS, that's going to look at the magnetosphere, which responds to these storms from the sun. Then there's also Solar Orbiter, which is going to get very close to the sun. And then there's a Solar Probe, which will also get very close to the sun. And in fact, about 10 million miles from the sun, which nothing's ever gotten that close. Of course, the big technological challenge is how can you shield something with that kind of intense heat? But I think they're, they're well on their way to doing it. You're going to be seeing the outreach from steel over the next five, ten years because we're never going to stop studying the sun. That's right. It seems like it's there and we're learning more and more and yeah, there seems to be a lot of interest in continuing that. So what made you fly all the way from Tennessee to come to this expo? Yeah, so I heard that um, this was going to be Tucson's you know, first science and astronomy conference here and being you know, Tucson, you know, having so much astronomy, so much science going on, I just wanted to come out and actually be a part of the very first astronomy and science conference here. Now, are you an amateur astronomer yourself? Uh, yes, sir. I'm a uh, astrophotographer, and I've been doing imaging for several years now, and I find it to be such a joy in learning so much about the universe that we live in. Now, what made you get into science and astronomy? Well, what made me got into it is that uh, my son, at an early age, he wanted to be an astronaut. And so I wanted to basically, you know, take him to places where he can learn more about space. And so we started going to star parties. We went to John F. Kennedy Space Center. And as he started to get involved in it, I found out that I had a love for space as well. And so his interest became my hobby. Now, I understand that what you're doing here is sort of astronomy, but basically you're focusing on one of our old favorites, the Space Weather Action Center. Have the kids really gotten into that? Have they enjoyed predicting space weather? Oh, yeah. It was really funny. We had one little girl that came over, and we said, so do you want to learn about the sun? She said, of course. <laughs> and then we had one little boy that actually did a space weather report, and then afterwards he had so many questions about the sun. I pulled up the space weather media viewer and we looked at the different images and I answered questions and he saw where there was a coronal mass ejection today and then later on he came back and I said come here look what I found and there was a solar flare. We had one man that came over and he said wow I don't get images like that on my telescope what observatory are you using and I said solar dynamics. <laughs> Nice. I would have said it's NASA Edge's special uh, telescope. So, Andy, uh, how are you feeling right now? 
I'm a little tired, but I'm uh, actually very, very excited by what we've uh, been able to pull off here. It's been a very, very um, uh, good event. I think we brought a lot of new people uh, into the show. From what I've heard from everybody else, everyone's very excited about it. Yeah, I was really amazed that not only the amateur astronomers are here, but a lot of the kids are here too. Yeah, we've made a very big point to go out in the community around Tucson, Phoenix, Arizona, and get with the schools, get with the outreach programs, and really start to pull the kids in. We don't want kids just coming in and looking at telescopes and mounts. What we wanted them to do is actually come in and experience planetariums, experience weather stations, experience other ancillary areas of, of science, and give them a first-hand taste of what, what astronomy really is too, and hopefully eventually they kind of realize that there are some connections between these two and they'll develop into astronomy at a later date. Where do you see this expo in the future? Uh, the expo in the future I'm hoping is going to grow. Um, we've only had about six to eight months to actually get this expo together. You know, we've done a wonderful job with all our volunteers and stuff getting out here and, and helping us out. And I think next year this is, we're going to be at least twice as big. We're definitely going to be doing this now every year. Uh, we're very excited that this, you know, has sort of worked here in Tucson. Um, I've had a few sleepless nights wondering if we were going to get somebody through the door. Right. I think we've had thousands of people coming through the door. Right. And, uh, of course, uh, the first thing we're going to do Monday is uh, start sitting down and picking a date for next year and, uh, and start working on it all over again. Hey, come on, let's go. Are they real? Oh, yeah, it's totally legitimate. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, we've come to an end at the uh, Arizona Science and Astronomy Expo, and we've had a wonderful time here. Yeah, it's been great. It's, uh, it's been an awesome experience with lots of astronomy and lots of science and lots of exposition. I tell you, it's exposition? Well, it's an expo. Uh, okay. Well, I tell you what, the, the public has surely enjoyed it, uh, just talking to all the people, all the kids, the parents, even the vendors. What a great time for the first annual event. Yeah, first annual, hope to be more, and most of all, lots of new astronomers probably developed here at the expo. I tell you what, let's wrap things up. Uh, I'm really worried about your finger because you're uh, shaking. It's good. it's good. No, it's fine. fine. Sure? Marshal through. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're watching NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. Let's go to the hospital. Yeah. Come uh, on. Let's, Come on. Check, let's get this checked out. Today, I coined a new phrase about our sun. By looking at that prom, I call it magnetosphere. How do you feel about that? What? Magnetosphere. No, you've... you've you did not coin that term. Do you, I've been using that term for for years. For years, you you probably no. This is the, this is the best news I've ever heard. So basically, finally, all my efforts of preaching magnetospheres have seeped their way through the ether down to Atlanta into your cerebrum and are now uh, making a spontaneous appearance by you here at the conference. <laughs> magnetospheres is my own term. We came upon it together, I think, because we're just two great minds involved in solar astronomy. Well, I will, cert I will certainly agree with that. Well, we have it here, confirmation that magnetosphere is not only taking place in the mind of the co-host, but also in Dr. Stephen Ramston, who's clearly an expert in solar observing. Well, I tell you what, we'll do a lucrative deal amongst ourselves to Talk get to my lawyer. <laughs> it looks like I'll get hedged out of this as well. Anyway, you're watching NASA Edge, an inside and outside look at all things NASA. I'm really serious. How did you come upon this term? I mean, my wife thought it up, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's three people that are involved.